This is Bishop Michael Curry, and you're listening to The Way of Love. My guest today is Dr. Tama Bryant, a clinical psychologist and president-elect of the American Psychological Association. She is also a professor of psychology at Pepperdine University and an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Her latest book, Homecoming, Overcoming Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self. That book is a roadmap for dismantling the fear and shame that keep you from living a free and authentic life. We are deserving of care. We are deserving of wellness and wholeness. We are deserving of peace. And it is something we want to set an intention for. And it is not something that just happens to us. What are the things that bring you home to yourself? Do them daily, knowing you are worthy of coming home. On our way of love journey, we're invited to turn, pausing and listening closely to the Holy Spirit, calling us to come back to ourselves, back to our purpose, and back to something more meaningful. Dr. Tama invites us to pause and look more closely at the intersection of spirituality and psychology. What are the bounds of each and how and where do they overlap? She encourages us to hold on to the spiritual and religious practices that have always drawn us closer to God and also explore the themes of the sacred now, interconnectedness of all living beings, mindfulness, generosity, surrender, self-compassion, and humility. This is Bishop Michael Curry, and it is a real joy to be uh, back on The Way of Love and to be here with Dr. Tama Bryant. Dr. Tama, it is a joy to have you with us on The Way of Love. Oh, thank you so much, because The Way of Love is where it is. It's where our healing is. It's where our joy is. It is very much what is needed. And I have such great appreciation for your ministry and also the ways in which you are getting uh, the love to the people, because that has been an overarching piece of my president-elect year and next year, my presidential year, is psychology for the people, that it shouldn't just be in the academy or for the wealthy, but how do we get all of this great information, this great knowledge Uh, to people so they can utilize it. And so on your podcast is a wonderful way. I facilitate the Homecoming podcast, and that's actually the inspiration for the book Homecoming. And so I'm so excited uh, to be able to to spread the word. And a big part of the word is our love and compassion, bringing us home to ourselves. Yes. Oh, it's so great to have you with us. I mean, it really is. And 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 timely. Lord knows we need a word from you. We all do. And yes. uh, we all do. And it's so true. And, and, and I just said, when you say we all do, because there was a time when we would say, oh, like certain people um, are really struggling. But we are in a time where it is actually better to assume that everybody is carrying a lot because there yes. is so much happening. And so for us to have that compassion for ourselves, but also each other, including people who don't show it, you know, some of us either for cultural reasons, religious reasons, or by personality, don't really show when our world is shaking. 
And when yeah. we meet in these virtual spaces, you don't know the full story of what people are carrying, visible and invisible losses. And so for us to just live our lives and interact with people with the assumption that the person I am with is carrying a lot because mm. it's very likely true. Yes. Yes. I have a feeling, though I don't know this absolutely, but I have a feeling that your work as a clinical psychologist, your work as, as a pastor, um, as a minister of the gospel, your work um, in the field of psychology and spirituality and, and life, that I, I dare say it grows out of your own life. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your life. Yes, I would love to. So I am the daughter of two ministers. Uh, my dad is Bishop John Bryant. And my mother's Reverend oh, Cecilia Bryant. Yes. Of course. Oh, right. Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> Your dad used to do revivals for me in ah, St. James Episcopal Church. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did them. Oh, we did those several years. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Oh. So, yes, then, you know, growing up uh, in the parsonage or in the pastor's house, it uh -huh. really was, I describe it in the book, like growing up uh, working a crisis hotline because people in our community are more likely to call their pastor when they're in trouble than to call a therapist, especially during right. that time. It's become a little uh, more destigmatized. But in general, people go to their faith leaders. And so growing up, people were often calling uh, our home when they were facing various challenges. It didn't matter who answered the phone when people are overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And it uh -huh. got to the point where even uh, my brother, who's two years older, Jamal Bryant, if he called, uh -huh. uh, if he picked up the phone and people were like in distress, and my parents weren't there, he would hand me the phone. <laughs> so, what he really? Uh, yeah, it's like tame a telephone. So, <laughs> I just have always been, I say back in our day, uh, we, we would call it sensitive, um, but yeah. really uh, having a heart to bear witness and be with people where they are. And so, you know, in the church realm, we often think about pastoral counseling. But then when I heard that it's a field in and of itself in psychology, I said, that's me. <laughs> that's me. Wow. And um, my focus in particular is in trauma recovery. And uh, that interest also comes from my life experience. So initially growing up in Baltimore, Maryland, and while it is um, a beautiful place, uh, culturally rich, uh, it also uh, faces a lot of difficulty around poverty and around violence. And so uh, seeing community violence and school violence, I was tuned into that. Uh, when my father was first elected to be a bishop in the AME church, the first term is usually overseas. So my family right. moved to Liberia, West Africa, which was incredible as a teenager to see the world beyond Baltimore to see yeah. uh, people in positions of power, like in every person in authority look like me. So that shifts mm -hmm. your psychology of what is possible, yeah. which is why it's funny now with me being uh, elected president, uh, elective APA, and I'm not yet 50, some people will try to put like their fears or insecurities on me like, oh, you must be terrified. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, we, we uh, can be equipped and raised uh, really for leadership. Yeah. And uh, to see it as a, a sacred responsibility. Um, and so it was empowering for me, world changing for me to live there uh, on the on the uh, beginning side, the say first year and a half 
the unfortunate mm-hmm. piece is uh, in toward the end of the second year, a civil war broke out and our family oh, was yeah. evacuated. And the only reason we could get on that plane is because we're American citizens. And so that piece yeah. of privilege of living with that sense of accountability, uh, of responsibility, mm-hmm. right? I'm no more deserving than other people who didn't get a seat on that plane. So I have to live with that uh, responsibility of what do I do with the opportunity I have. And of course, Liberia and a number of other places uh, don't have a lot of mental health professionals. And so Mm -hmm. the importance of lay leaders and community healing of how do we again, like disseminate the knowledge so more people uh, can walk in wholeness and wellness. Um, And I later found out, we say all things work together for the good, that my essay on uh, my my living experience there is what got me into Duke University. And, you know, because they're always looking to populate the class with interesting people or interesting journeys that can come together. And uh, so I was a psychology major focused on uh, trauma interpersonal trauma. And now, uh, full circle, I'm a professor of psychology at Pepperdine University and preparing uh, new students to be able uh, to do this work. So, of course, there has been uh, lots that that has happened over the past 20 years, but I am uh, excited about uh, what is possible and the growth that I see happening. There was a time when we had to convince people that psychology had something to offer, but now people are so stressed out and tapped that they actually are looking to the mental health field to give the resources and provide information. Well, that takes us to your book. Yes. Because that's the homecoming. Right. Overcome fear and trauma Mm -hmm. to reclaim your whole authentic self. Tell us about the book. Yes. So when we experience stress and trauma, it disconnects us from ourselves. So, you know, like when you're stressed out, you just have a lot on your mind. You can miss things. People are talking to you. You don't hear it. You forget what you're supposed to do. You're not grounded. Often we're just running around trying to get things done. And uh, also with trauma, uh, traumatic events. So there's everyday stressors. And those are the things we just kind of juggle. And then there Mm -hmm. are life events that are disruptive, that are overwhelming, um, that Mm -hmm. disrupt our nervous system. It disrupts our sense of who we are. It, uh, our old coping strategies don't work, you know, so we had a way of managing, you know, the everyday stress and then COVID-19 or then the death of a loved one or then assault Mm -hmm. or abuse And so, you know, kind of life gets turned upside down and we can find ourselves not really clear about who we are or in some ways feeling like we have to pretend to be something we're not to try to stay safe. And so that homecoming is the invitation and the call to let down, uh, not the COVID mask, (laughs) but to let down the mask where we hide our emotions or hide ourselves uh, yeah. to come off the stage of performing all as well so we can actually be well. And uh, recognizing there is freedom and liberation in being authentic. And mm-hmm. when we can get there, it benefits us and those around us. So we're not just going through the motions of living. How do you do that? Yes, yeah, so important. Thank you. So the the first piece of the book talks about 
the alarms, paying attention to the warning signs, because you cannot stop uh, living disconnected until you realize you're disconnected. Some of us are in denial and we are actually living out of our own wounds. But if you've been doing it a long time, let's say the stress or trauma happened early. So you developed a way of being and you think, oh, that's just me. You know, when people are like super harsh, you know, super mean, a lot of walls up and they say, that's just how I am. Well, that's how your life experience has shaped you. But that's not at your core, right? In your spirit, uh, who you are, right? It is what you uh, have been made into. And so giving ourselves permission to first tell ourselves the truth of what are the ways I have been living like some other person? What are the ways that I have not been living out of my truth, the truth of my value? So truth telling and recognition is an important part of it. And then the second segment talks about you know, uh, tools to put in your backpack as you want to do that journey home to yourself. And so uh, a part of that is uh, the recognition of our spiritual practices. And this book is a holistic book. So we look at mind, body, and spirit. So across faith traditions, what are the ways that these principles that are common uh, to many traditions can help us get back home to ourselves, uh, including that self-compassion or that love? Uh, There's also a chapter on reparenting yourself. So uh, parents are human beings. And didn't get it all right. And for some people got some serious things uh, wrong. And so uh, looking at what I did not receive early and how can I start to give those things to myself, right? Giving myself uh, more structure, giving myself boundaries, giving myself my voice, giving myself uh, permission to uh, explore the truth of my uh, identity instead of just kind of falling in these boxes. And then the uh, last major section of the book talks about the major roadblocks on the journey home to yourself. And so how do we navigate working at a toxic workplace, which many of us at some uh-huh. point in our lives yeah. have had to do. And if you imagine, yeah. you spend a lot of hours at work. So if all yeah. of those hours you're having to disconnect when are you ever reconnecting, right? So some people at the end of that day, you know, just in front of the television or just drinking or just uh, emotional eating, but still never really at home. Uh, it also talks about how to heal from childhood trauma, uh, how to heal from grief, and also the realities of oppression in all of its forms, because the goal of oppression is to keep us so distracted and discouraged that we don't stand in our power and in our truth and actually manifest our lives. Uh, So I am so excited to be able to to share this because when we are all living from that place of authenticity and wholeness, instead of out of our wounds, then we can see some major shifts. Oh, this this is incredible. How has this, I mean, I know we're in the middle of um, the COVID pandemic now, you know, where we are in the pandemic. I don't know, but COVID's still around. So it's, and, but even if it wasn't, the after effect of the trauma would still be the PTSD is somehow with us. Uh, and I'm wondering how have you seen, or how are you seeing this manifest in, in this particular context mm-hmm. in which all of us have, lived through and are living through. That's right. Thank you for naming that. And it's so important for us to really take in 
a medical pandemic, a global pandemic is a trauma. And so we are all uh, being exposed to it. And the way it affects us can vary from person to person. And the other pieces, because it's been going on for a while, it may be affecting you differently at different times. Right. So how are you when it first came out? How are you now? How you know, how will you be uh, toward the middle of this year? And Mm -hmm. so to start to pay attention to the signs within yourself that it's having an effect. And also mm-hmm. the signs in your family and in your community, uh, because a lot of people are wanting to pretend business as usual of just like have the meeting, have this, have that, have the worship and like ignoring uh, what people are holding. And so it's important for us to name uh, that this definitely uh, is a trauma. And so mm-hmm. what are some of the effects we see emotionally? Uh, some people, depression, and uh, there can be the kind of traditional depression as we think of it. Some people's depression shows up as irritability. And so we want to be mindful of, you know, people who just come in rough around the edges. It can be easy to get very upset with them, but to be mindful underneath that is usually despair, right? Uh, some people are angry and they take their anger out uh, on different people, on people they see as different from them. Uh, at the government, at um, doctors and nurses, at their children. And so just walking around in this frustration and directing that anger a lot of places. Uh, Some people are anxious. So there's general anxiety. And then we also also talk about COVID anxiety. But one of the things I was reminding a client of mine who was kind of being hard on herself, when you're facing a real threat of something, that's just not that you have a problem with anxiety. Right. I was Mm -hmm. talking to a nurse who was upset with herself about uh, she was working in a COVID unit. And whenever she would go there, she would feel anxious. And this idea of, well, I'm a woman of faith, so I shouldn't have any anxiety. Well, you know, we have to have room for our humanity and we can feel two things at the same time. So you can feel I have faith and I'm going into a dangerous circumstance and I feel anxious Mm -hmm. about it. Right. And so to give ourselves that permission. And then for those who I haven't hit theirs yet, I want to say numbness and denial can also be a part of how people respond to trauma of like, oh, I don't feel anything like checked out. So if you see all uh, the numbers of people we have lost, right, and feel absolutely nothing, that's a trauma response, right? A a disconnect Mm -hmm. where it becomes, it's too Mm -hmm. much. So either I don't really take it in, or some people will say, yeah, I think the numbers are fake and like, like no one has died, right? That's a trauma response right. where I just can't contain it. So I reject that it is truth, right? I want to also name that some people cope with a trauma with busyness, right? So mm-hmm. it's like some people were acting like this is just a vacation and they're like, oh, like learn a new language, do this, do that, right? Like, when will we ever have this amount of time again? I'm going to learn an instrument and It's like you could do that. And at the same time, recognize that busyness can sometimes distract us from ourselves. And are you able to be still would be the question. Like, can you ever just sit without like, you know, scrolling? (laughs) Can you ever just like sit with yourself? And that can be a big, a, a good kind of test or indicator. Am I running from myself or running from my emotions or are, or are these kind of healthy coping strategies? And then there are those who just have not been able to function. 
So a lot of compassion for people who fight to get out of bed, who would say like, if I put some food on the table for the kids, like that's enough. And I did it. Uh Um, And so the, the, the full range of responses. And the reality is the word trauma, we think of it as something that results from a catastrophe, a, a crisis, hardship of some kind. But I don't normally think of that when everybody's in it. Right. Right. Because usually not everybody's in it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and what, you know, the closest it, the closest we may be able to relate is something like a natural disaster. Right. Uh-huh. Where everybody in a whole region could be exposed. You know, when you go into yeah. those areas and some people live in those areas where like almost every house was knocked down or these wildfires yeah. where it's like everybody. And I think that was a thing uh, in terms of in our field. Initially around trauma, we had the word rare in the definition and the word rare had to be removed because a lot of these experiences are more pervasive than we would want to believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Even child abuse or sexual assault. And some people around community violence, they would say like, well, everybody I know has experienced it. So is it a big deal? And it's uh, still yes. Yes. right. Uh, Even when we're having to uh, keep it moving, we think about with school shootings, like if it's a school in a suburban area, often all these resources are flooded in of, oh my goodness, these poor children, we must comfort them as we should. But Mm -hmm. often uh, when there's a school shooting in an urban area, People act like the kids should just be used to it, like it should have no effect. Like, of course, that's everyday life. And so for us to really take in, is it possible that something can be common and still overwhelming and that we are all overwhelmed and affected? Have you ever had a season of life when circumstances seem at odd with your faith? Where did you find support, hope, or light during those times? You know, I'm wondering if if I read the book, mm-hmm. I can kind of do kind of a self-inventory. Yes. One of the things... I just think you're going to you're doing is you're giving us permission to honor the feelings and whatever's going on inside of us. That yes. it's, it's it's not that there's something wrong with us. I, we have been through something horrendous. Yeah. And um and life throws stuff at you that I, it just does. That's just how it, it, does. Just, it just does. Mm-hmm. And like you're giving us permission to face that. Yes. And, yeah. And sometimes I can do that on my own, read the book mm-hmm. and can mm-hmm. kind of think, oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that, 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 that fits. Oh, maybe this spiritual practice, maybe maybe I do need to go into med- do some meditation. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe that's a way of helping. It. But how do I know when I can kind of do this myself mm-hmm. and when I need to get with somebody else like you who's skilled? who can, you know, it's kind of like spiritual companionship, psychological right. companionship, who can yeah. help me navigate it. So how do I know when I need to go to right. you or get mental health assistance? Yes. yes. Thank you so much for that. Uh, because I think uh, the self-help 
um, initiatives are, you know, so uh, attractive and accessible for many people and can be, as you're saying, for some people, they can kind of they take in the information, they apply it and, and they're able to kind of move forward. So as people are thinking about getting um, help from a mental health professional, I would mm-hmm. look at um, the severity of your symptoms and mm-hmm. their duration. That means how long they've been lasting. So there's a difference between sadness and depression. And mm-hmm. I think often people who have only experienced sadness and never experienced major clinical depression don't really get it. They say things like just shake it off, go for yeah. a walk, look on the bright side. And it's like, right. if you, anytime you start your sentence with just, like all you need to do is just, then you yeah. have not really experienced it, right? Yeah. Um, but when uh, it has continued for weeks in that kind of place of deep despair, uh, feeling hopelessness or powerlessness, um, not being able um, to regulate your sleep or your eating, um, uh-huh. having suicidal thoughts, uh, it will be important to say, in addition to perhaps reading this book or going to a workshop, for me to uh, give myself permission to access individual care. And some mm-hmm. people also prefer uh, group interventions. So there are groups that are focused on depression, groups that help uh-huh. you to cope and manage anxiety um, with uh, substance dependence. Uh, that can be an important one to not try mm-hmm. to navigate by yourself. Um, and so I would say the way the way to check in is, am I feeling stuck? So some people, yeah. um, you know, they'll try to listen to a podcast, they'll they'll read a book, and they mm-hmm. see other people kind of making their way through, but it's it's they feel like they're not moving. So if you don't see movement or progress or relief, it will be important to. Uh, have someone to walk the, the journey with you. That's helpful. Yeah. That is so helpful. You used the words earlier, uh, and maybe this, actually, maybe this is when we were talking before we started mm-hmm. taping. You used the word disconnect yeah. and reconnect. Mm-hmm. That that if I'm feeling I'm disconnected right. from myself and can't quite figure out how to reconnect. Right. Then it can be helpful to... Uh, to talk with a, a professional, when I, what are some signs, uh, additional signs that I'm disconnected uh, when you don't know how you feel and you don't know what you think, right? So people are always just like, I don't know. Or in the church, we always say, I'm blessed. Too blessed to be stressed, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, we have all of these sayings that really don't say anything, like they don't, no, don't feel anything. Right. And so not only may we be disconnected from ourselves, but some of us are disconnected from other people. So, you know, when your trust has been uh, broken in such a a deep way, and that can be as a result of interpersonal trauma, it may be um, a result of dealing with various forms of oppression where um, you have isolated yourself, where you feel like you have been rejected from a lot of people, uh, that a part of our human condition is also in the collective or in community or in relationship. And so some people who are listening may say, well, I feel all right with me, but it's like Uh, everybody else I don't feel all right with. Uh, Then that is also an important part of homecoming because when I'm at home with myself, I can be at home with myself in the presence of other people. Right. Um, And so that kind of like wherever I go, like home is not geography, but it's what I carry with me. 
right? And we know when we're in the presence of people who have come home to themselves, who are free and, and they're not um, aggressive, they're not bullying, they're not trying, I'm not trying to control anybody else when I'm clear about me, right? So when people uh-huh. are uh-huh. exhibiting all those other things, um, it means they're not really secure, they're not really grounded uh, in the truth of who they are. You know, this this book, I, I can't wait to read it because the homecoming, I mean, it is just, I remember um, uh, when I was in seminary reading an essay by Rabbi Martin Buber. And in the essay, he was, it wasn't titled Homecoming, but he he said that the the human quest is to find our home in the universe. Mm. Mm. Yes, that's it. That's it. And and when we get there, uh, it is worthy of celebration. So I yes. also say to people, pay attention to how uh, people respond when you are your most authentic self. And that's when you'll know like who your real friends are. Because if I have to be disconnected from me for you to like me, you don't actually like me, right? You like my my representative or who I pretend to be in your presence. So we want to spend time in places that affirm us in the truth of who we are. Let me ask you this, and this is following up on that that train of thought, mm-hmm. because in the book, you at one point, I think it's in the introduction, you say the journey home is both psychological and spiritual. In fact, the word psychology means study of the soul as it originates from the Greek word psyche or soul. I'm not sure we religious folk often realize that that these two are interrelated. Yes. I'm wondering, how can churches help with mental health? How can we as religious folk and religious leaders who may hear this broadcast, what are some things we can do um, to foster a partnership uh, between mental health professionals and communities and churches to make the work that you and others are doing even more accessible and, and attainable? Yes. Thank you so much for that question. I'm so grateful for the growing community Uh, of those of us who are uh, serving as a bridge between faith community and mental health uh, community, because what we need is much more collaboration so that people don't feel they have to choose. And that disconnect and divide, I'm going to say, has been um, promoted um, on both the psychology or mental health side and in the religious realm, and often it's lack of knowledge, right? When people often reject what they don't understand, right, and what they don't know. And so it requires some education uh, in our faith communities about what is mental health, what is mental illness, um, that this is not, you know, oh, just somebody is possessed by the devil, or all they need to do is pray and send them back home, Um, But there's a lack of education. And I know, you know, as someone who did a Master's of Divinity, that we had Mm -hmm. one course uh, on ministry during times of crisis. And the Mm -hmm. focus of that course was to prepare ministers to deal with grief and bereavement. So that's important. But we did not touch on any other mental health condition. And now this is like the point person that people in the community are coming to saying, my son has bipolar disorder or, you know, my daughter's living with schizophrenia. If you are if you're not knowledgeable of it, you can give people a verse and send them home. 
which is really incomplete. And so uh, providing more of the education, whether it's in our seminaries or I also have done um, trainings, particularly since COVID with groups of ministers virtually, because uh, we've seen a lot of ministers are struggling. Um, So to provide the knowledge and the importance of having a list of referrals. So even if you, you know, make some phone calls and and find out who are the mental health professionals, some numbers where you feel comfortable and even in the meantime, until you have the specific people you want to refer to encourage uh, parishioners and, and members to, along with meeting with you, to seek out therapy, um, that we're not in competition with each other. And I will right. say, I also, that there has to be awareness raised for mental health professionals, because there are many mental health professionals who um, not only are not people of faith, but don't have a lot of respect or positive regard for people's faith traditions. So they can say very harmful things or rejecting things that makes people feel like, oh, this isn't the place for me. Um, And again, that can be lack of knowledge. So I'll just give this as a quick example. Um, I was amazed in my training hearing people uh, use this term hyper-religiosity. That means like too religious. Now, what a subjective thing, right? If if someone grew up with no faith involvement and they have a client who goes two or three times a week, it's very easy to label that hyper religiosity. You see, it sounds like it sounds like they're there too much, but you don't have any frame of reference for, you know, on Tuesday they have Bible study, on Wednesday is the youth group, you know. But if you're out of that realm, you don't know what you're listening to, right? Or if you hear a client, let's say if the therapist is not a person of faith and a client needs to make a big decision and the client says, let me pray about it first. If you don't have any understanding or respect for that, then you'll, you may call that avoidance. So we have to make sure we're understanding each other, which is why it's helpful when we do have some people who speak the language of both and can help us get yes. to the table. Well, let me ask you, the, what are some, and, and, and we want people to buy the book. Everybody <laughs> remember, homecoming, uh, you got to get this book. But you do talk about spiritual practices yes. that can be helpful. I was wondering what some of those what some of those are that you identify. Right. Yeah. So I want to name uh, meditation in particular. And for those who are more familiar with prayer than meditation, um, I would say it's the listening part. Sometimes people who pray do a lot of talking, right? So, you know, we have the formula that we learn in terms of, you know, you worship, you Thanksgiving, you make your petitions, you ask for forgiveness, you intercede, you pray for your friends and your family, you say amen and you're done. Um, And so many of us have not been taught the stillness and the silence to hear that still small voice. And um, when we can make ourselves available There's a lot of healing that can take place when we're open uh, in silence, because it also requires us slowing down, us not trying to prove ourselves with our works Mm. or our busyness, but getting to that place of at my core, in my being, I am enough, as opposed to because I've done all these things, I am enough. And so uh, spending time, I would say, uh, each morning creating, you, uh, some can call it a ritual. Um, and this is especially when I talk about for people who work in either stressful or toxic workplaces, you have to 
find a way of refilling your cup before you go out in the world. So some people from our tradition might call it morning devotions. What is it you want to read, whether it's sacred text or poetry? Uh, If you can lift up your voice and sing, music can be very healing or listening to the music, spending your time in silence. And I will uh, just say to you in terms of my own life experience, I remember working at a very stressful job and I was walking in one morning and the assistant director said to me, Tama, you always seem so happy and I get the feeling it has nothing to do with this place. (laughs) And I told her, you're right. You're right. If I was dependent on this place for my joy, I'd be a miserable person. Yes. And so we have to spiritually have ways that we fill our well. You got to find a joy that the world did not give and therefore cannot take away. That's it. Yes. Yes. And I will say for me, a big joy bringer for me is dance and movement. And so moving these bodies and Western psychology has caught up to that. So uh, now they talk about somatic psychotherapy. Soma means body or embodied healing or trauma informed yoga. We would talk about praise dance is also a joy bringer. It really is. You you have been extraordinary, and this book is extraordinary. But I'm, before we kind of close, what would you like to say to the folk that who've been listening that maybe we have you haven't had a chance to say? What's a word for us? Yes, I would say to each of us, we are deserving of care. We are deserving of wellness and wholeness. We are deserving of peace. And it is something we want to set an intention for. And it is not something that just happens to us, but it is us playing an active part in the role, in the journey of coming home to ourselves. And I want to say to each one, by any means necessary, because your journey doesn't have to look like anybody else's and you don't have to defend it to anybody else. What are the things that bring you home to yourself do them daily, knowing you are worthy of coming home. Mm, amen. Amen. Dr. Tama, thank you so much. Everybody, you got to get this book, Homecoming, Overcome Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self. This one is for real, and it's worth it. Dr. Tama, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much. Blessings to you. And I continue to walk in gratitude. Amen. Thank you for being with us. And thanks to Dr. Tama for this excellent conversation. Her new book, Homecoming, Overcoming Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self is available wherever books are sold. You can find out more about Dr. Tama's work on her website, drtama.com, drtama.com. And as always, you can learn more about the way of love, including how to create your own personal rule of life at episcopalchurch.org. The Way of Love podcast executive producer is Jeremy Tackett. Our podcast engineer is Ellie Singer. Research and guest relations are managed by Amanda Scofstead, and our project manager is Chris Sikama. I'm Michael Curry, and I'll see you next time on The Way of Love. God love you.